you want to turn in your Bibles this morning to Joshua chapter 9. We'll be going through a sermon this morning talking about how to detect deception. And I was preparing for this message and kind of putting out my, or uh, creating a preaching calendar for the end of the year here. And I just realized it's the Sunday after Thanksgiving already. It's like, where is this year gone? There's only 27 shopping days left till Christmas, in case you're wondering. <laughs> and as we prepare for the season, there's something else I noticed that has started to ramp up. Uh, and that is the scam phone calls. Anybody get a lot of scam phone calls? For some reason, the church line gets a lot of scam phone calls. Well, I got a phone call um, a couple days ago that told me that um, somebody could save me on my Medicare um, premiums, up to 75%, and they'd throw in Medicare D on top of it. All I had to do was give them my name, my address, my date of birth, and my Social Security number, and they'd set me up for Medicare right away. And I'm like, but I'm only 53. I don't qualify for Medicare. I, I knew it was a scam, obviously, but um, then they hung up on me. But something about scams draws people in. And not all the deception that we see today is so obvious, but sometimes we can get taken, um, taken up with this kind of thing. Scammers, they prey on fear, they prey on doubt, they prey on unbelief, or they try to give you something for practically nothing. And it's something that, that has an allure for us. And I think maybe it's just because we're wired because we want things easy. And that, that kind of draws us in to these scammers. And uh, sometimes even deception can come from people that we're very close to. And that's when it hurts. Maybe a friend has betrayed you or an employer has lied to you about something and, and that starts to, to cause a lot of negative emotions with you. Or oftentimes, even the news media today is lying to us. We talked a little bit in Sunday school about a false TikTok video out there that's making a whole lot of people, that's lying to people, that's making a lot of people believe in something that's not true. But as much as we see all the deception that's going on today, it's not a new phenomenon. Scams and con jobs even existed in Bible times. And today we're going to look at an example of one of the biggest con jobs in the entire Bible. And we're going to see that in Joshua chapter 9. Now let me set the stage to what is going on here. If you go back to Exodus, you see Moses lead the Israelites out of Egypt. And then in the books um, going from Exodus to Deuteronomy, it talks about the Israelites wandering in the desert for 40 years because of their uh, rebellion and their unbelief. But now, in the book of Joshua, it's time for a new generation to enter into that promised land. That land that was promised to them directly by God uh, through Abraham. And before he dies, Moses appoints his servant Joshua to become a leader of that nation that's going to do what God had promised them. And God gives Joshua some very specific instructions. 
And they include wiping out everyone who lives in Canaan. Canaan is what we would call modern-day Israel today. This is a fulfillment of the promise that God made to Abraham in Genesis 15. If you go all the way back there, God gives uh, Abraham the, the covenant that the Jews live under even today. And, but he tells them during that time that he's going to lead Abraham's descendants into a land. But he said it's going to take 400 years for that to happen. And he put, he, he put the reason why it would take that long. And in Genesis 15, it said that the sin of the Amorites, who were one of the chief tribes living in Canaan at that time, had not yet reached its full measure. So in other words, God was giving those Amorites and Canaanites time to repent. 400 years worth. But now, time's up. Those living in Canaan had gotten so bad and so far into demon worship that God had made the decision to eradicate them and everything and everyone living in that land. And God's judgment is coming to that and it's coming in the form of Joshua and the Israelites. And Joshua, he starts off great. Starts off great. They march around Jericho. Jericho falls they celebrate, they get ready to go to the next, the next town. They, somebody in the camp messes up, takes something that he wasn't supposed to. It leads to a defeat, but now they're on a roll in Genesis chapter 9. They're obeying God, they're taking city after city after city because God is fighting with them and he's fighting for them. And one of the nations in Canaan heard about what was happening. He heard about that Joshua was coming at them with an army that could not be defeated. They were supernaturally conquering everything in front of them. So they decided to pull one of the biggest con jobs in history. This nation called the Gibeonites, they appoint some men and give them some really old donkeys. Give them some broken down old carts and grab some clothing that was meant to go to Goodwill, and it was just all stained and torn and everything, and sent them out to meet with Joshua. And they did everything they could to make themselves look like they weren't a threat, to make them look poor, to make them look like this, we aren't anything that you're even going to want to even come near, much less conquer, and then told them, we're not even residents of this land. We're, we're, we're visitors from across the river there. We just want to have a treaty of non-aggression with you. And so you won't mess with us. We won't mess with you. We'll just live together in peace. Now remember, Joshua and the leaders of Israel have been kicking tail all the way through the promised land here. No one can stand against them. As long as they were obedience to God, everything was going to plan. I would guess that maybe this might have caused them to get a little prideful at this point. Because they look at this pathetic group of people standing in front of them asking for this treaty. They look like they got kicked out, off of skid roll and they make a decision to sign the treaty. Then comes the premise of what I want to talk about this morning. And to me, it's a very tragic verse in the Bible, and it also explains why so many people today are living under such deception. 
In Joshua 9, verse 14, it says that the Israelites sampled their provisions but did not inquire of the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, I ask, Lord, that you take this verse of an incident that happened thousands of years ago and help, it, uh, help us to apply it to our lives today. Father, there is so much deception in our world right now. It's difficult for us to, to decide what is true, what is false, what is propaganda, what is, what is real. We just, we don't know anymore. We need your wisdom to figure out what is true, Lord. And Father, I ask, Lord, that you take this message, you take this teaching, and that you help us to learn to live in such a way that we will not be deceived in these last days. Father God, I ask this in your name. Amen. Now, when I came to follow Christ in 1993... America, at that point, was a somewhat Christ-honoring nation. I remember witnessing to people at work, and if I said something like, well, you do know the Bible says this, they would go, oh, I didn't know that. Maybe I, I should follow that. Where today, if you said the Bible says, they'd be like, so what? Right? I mean, there, there's been a change in, in America since I got saved. And I noticed that change start to happen a few years into me coming to faith in Jesus. I started to notice a subtle change in some of the radio and TV ministers that I would listen to and watch on occasion. And they begin to switch about talking about living a sacrificial, God-honoring life into talking about how much God could bless us. And this really blew up in the year 2000 with a publication of a book called The Prayer of Jabez. If you don't know who Jabez is, Jabez is a guy, you see him in a genealogy in 1 uh, Chronicles chapter 4. And this genealogy is explaining the family line of Judah, the son of Jacob. And in verse 9 and 10, it talks about Jabez. And Jabez prayed that God would bless him, enlarge his territory, and keep him from evil. And the Bible said that God honored that request. Well, this focus of the church started to change the church. It opened Pandora's box. And in my opinion, it introduced a cancer that has absolutely messed up the Church of America. And this is called the prosperity gospel. Many conservative pastors and theologians call it an abomination. They go that far. And instead of teaching repentance of sin and closeness with God through being filled with the Holy Spirit, some large church pastors are, uh, began preaching and are still preaching that if we're faithful to God, he'll do what he did with Jabez. He'll, he'll make us prosperous. He'll enlarge our territory. He'll give us limos and mansions and sports cars and, and all that kind of things. And while that caused many churches to explode numerically, it also led to the weakening of the individual Christian. Because once these Christians stopped being blessed, or maybe the economy took a downturn, 
or they lost their job, they said, well, well God, this Christian thing must not work. God's not blessing me. And they left the church and their relationship with God altogether. And I use this just as an example of a very subtle deception that on its face seemed to be okay at the time, but in the long run really led to a lot of destruction. And Satan will use this kind of deception, especially now in the last days, to lead us down wrong paths, to put in our heads wrong ideas and wrong thinking about what it means to follow Jesus. Jesus calls Satan the father of lies. He's the one who gave the first lie, and he is the one who continues to use those same tactics. Our enemy is smart. We, we often try to, to, to just think of him as, a, as some imp somewhere with a pitchfork and horns, but he's actually pretty smart. And he's not going to come to us with a huge lie. He'll start with a small one. Kind of like how we fish often. We put a hook on a line, we throw the line in the water, and you see the, if you can see the fish, when it's, if you're in a boat and you watch the fish, they'll start nibbling at it and nibbling at it, and then they'll take a big bite, and that's when we jerk the line and the hook's set, we have that fish. Satan uses the same thing. He'll see if you'll nibble at the bait a little bit, but then he sets that hook and we're caught, and he'll start wheeling us into his arms. And that's why it's important for us to spot the lie early. So I want to show you some of the tools that the enemy is going to use a lot, and especially in these last days. And the first tactic that the enemy uses is to cause doubt in God's word. He's always going to bring question, did God really say? And I notice I've said this a lot this year, but the enemy's tactics have not changed since Adam and Eve. It's the same tactics. Why? Because it works. He knows what works. He didn't have to change tactics. You can't get three chapters into the Bible before we see what his game plan is. And in fact, this whole mess that we call our history is all about humanity doubting the will, of God, the will and the word of God. Satan's first words to Eve was, did God really say? Did he really say that? Is that what he meant? Are you sure? It's the same first words he uses for every single person here. He's trying to lead you into his lie. And that's why I'm going to say repeatedly that you need to be in your word. You need to be in your Bible. You need to be reading them on your own. Because if you do not know this word, Satan can twist it to make it sound like he's the angel and we're the devil. He will twist it and drive you away from God. Everything in our world and our culture right now is going to drive God's word out of your heart. That's why you need to be in it. And it's not overstating it at this point. This nation is rapidly heading toward a spot where this meeting may be illegal. Even just meeting in each other's houses could turn illegal someday. 
You may not always have a church or a pastor to fall back on. Sunday morning Christianity is no longer going to cut it. We need to count the cost. Pick up our cross and follow Jesus, which means we need to become our own personal experts of that Bible. Casting doubt on the Word of God is the first tactic. The second one is trusting in our own wisdom, experience, or senses instead of the Spirit or the Word. Again, I point us back to Genesis in verse, or chapter 3, verse 6, that says, When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. Now compare that to our original scripture from Joshua this morning. What did Joshua and the elders do? They sampled their provision. They looked. They trusted in their own wisdom, their own experience, their own senses. But they did not inquire of the Lord. They didn't bring it to God. I think if we're going to be very honest with each other this morning and we passed the microphone around or just stood up and admitted it, how many of us would say some of the biggest mistakes of your life is because you acted on your own wisdom or your own experience or your own senses instead of asking God for prayer and prayer for his direction or simply just applying the word of God to it. If that's you, I get it because I've done it myself. I often look back at different situations and, and analyze them where I either made a wrong decision or because of doubt didn't make a decision and chose this inaction when I should have acted. That's why God gave us this book. He gave us this law. I know just in my own life, I've just become passionate about reading the Bible again. Just, re just sitting down and reading it turning off the TV, turning off the, the computers and the internet and the phones. We need to become passionate with that. He gave us this to show us the right way. Right? We shouldn't have any doubt that if you want money, you don't go rob a bank. The Bible says don't steal. It made it into the Big Ten. Big Ten laws, Ten Commandments. Same thing with messing with someone you're not married to. It's a Big Ten law. These should be obvious. Anyone who reads the Bible should know those things. If the Bible says no, that's your answer. Period. End of discussion. God knows best. Trust Him. But what about the not so obvious? Maybe it's something you're growing dissatisfied with. Maybe it's your job. You're wondering if it's time to leave. Maybe you're asking yourself, God, are you calling me to go elsewhere? Maybe it's a friend telling you about a great job at the place he or she works. Maybe it has better hours, better pay, better benefits. Everything on the surface seems better. It seems like a, a no-brainer. I don't need to go to God with this. You quit your job, you go to work there, and then you go out, out of business in six months. But if you would have taken that to the Lord, maybe he could have, could have um, kept you from doing that. How do we avoid these kind of mistakes or deceptions of the enemy? Something that's not clearly defined in the word? Well, you see it in the scripture we're studying. Or rather, 
you don't see it. Because you notice what Joshua didn't do. He didn't consult the high priest at all. He didn't consult the spiritual leaders of the nation. You see, the priests at that time, they had a God-given decision-making process called the Urim and the Thummim. It was a way that God gave them to tell them what to do when he didn't choose to speak verbally at them. They didn't have prophets yet. So God had them use these tools that would tell them his will of any situation. If he would have just consulted with the high priest, he would have had God's direction. He didn't use the resources he had. However, we as Christians, we have a constant resource. And it's available 24-7. We have direct access to God through Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And that's why being an intimate, having an intimate connection with God is so important. That's why I keep saying these daily disciplines, like prayer, reading the Bible, worship, and just spending time in his presence are becoming more and more important in our day. To keep that connection with God, to help you make these wise decisions. The third deception the enemy will try to bring is an appeal to pride. An appeal to pride. And this is a tough one for all of us. Recently, I was listening to somebody at a gas station. I was standing in line. Line was kind of long at, at Quick Trip and Black River Falls, and somebody was complaining they were in trouble at work because she speaks her mind. And if they don't like it, they can get lost because this is who I am, and I'm not going to censor myself for anybody. And they could just go take a leap and, and yada, 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 blah, 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 that kind of, of, of talk. And I just was sitting there thinking, wow, pride. Your pride is going to cause you to lose your job. And not because, because they're trying to, to censor you, not because they're trying to, to squash your individuality, but because you can't step back and see you might be the problem. Instead, they blame everyone else around them because they choose to be obnoxious. And it wasn't me, by the way. Just in case you're wondering, I wonder if that was him. No, it wasn't me, but sometimes I can resemble that remark. But appealing to our pride is a trap of Satan. One of his main traps, really. Appealing to our pride steers us away from God and his character and his will for our lives. Again, same tactic used in the beginning. Remember what Eve did? Genesis 3.6 says, When she saw the fruit was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took and ate. It was an appeal to Eve's pride. That's why one of our greatest weaknesses that the devil always seems to have a door open to is our pride. Our pride is the one door in our spirit that we often forget to lock. I don't know about you, but before I go to bed every night, I walk around the house and make sure all the doors are locked. We need to do that in our spirit too. Especially that door to pride because it seems Instead, we keep it propped open. 
for the devil to use whenever he wants. And that's why the Bible emphatically states in several places that pride goes before the fall. It's our pride that starts us on the wrong road. It starts and ends with what we think, what we want, or what we think we know. And the Bible addresses it. In James 5, 6, it says that God resists the proud, but who does he give grace to? The humble. Those of us who, who can come to God and say, I don't have the answer, God, but you do. I don't know which way to go, but you do. I don't know what decision to make, Lord, so I just surrender to whatever you would have me do. See, our God is a gracious God. He's a loving Father, and he will help us to see through our stubbornness and pride, but we have to be willing to go to him and ask for his wisdom, his direction, and then be humble enough to say, yes, Lord, and follow it. See, oftentimes we go to God and we ask him to bless a decision we've already made. That's not the way it works. You go to him first. So you don't have to ask him to get you out of a bad situation that you caused. So we've uncovered some of the enemy's tactics. How can we avoid being deceived? Well, the solution starts with fearing God. Putting God first. Proverbs 9.10 says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Now that word fear in Proverbs is often misunderstood. While it does mean that we should be afraid of God, He is the ultimate creator of the universe. He is the most powerful being we will ever, ever know. It's his creation. We're part of that creation. Therefore, the creator makes the rules. And when the Bible says to fear God, it's talking about having that healthy respect and awe of your father. If we start there, it's very difficult for Satan to wedge uh, lies into your spirit that separates you from his presence if we simply fear him. I like what I heard what a Bible teacher say. He said, if the devil comes knocking at the door of your heart, your soul, your mind, ask Jesus, get that door for me, please. That's if you fear God, that won't be a problem for you to do that. The second way to avoid deception, we've alluded to a few times already, and we see it in the second part of Proverbs 9.10. And that is the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. In other words, again, read your Bible. Know your Bible. Even if you don't have a physical copy, and again, if you don't have a physical copy, see me. We've already bought one Bible for somebody in the church. I have no problem spending money buying Bibles for people. But if you don't, but you have one of these... This connects you with thousands upon thousands upon thousands of Bible reference pages. You have the entire library of Oxford University, Yale University, Harvard, any 
Ivy League school, you can name, you have their entire library available through this thing, including the theology section. There are online courses that are free that you can take. We have a district school of ministry that you can just go to to learn more about the Bible. And if you want to know more about that, come see me. You don't necessarily have to be going into ministry. You can just go there to learn more about the Bible. We have all these resources available to us. So if you don't know God's word, I would ask you, well, why not? All this is available to you. It's like you're sitting at a, at a grand buffet somewhere, but you won't pick up the fork to eat. Please, please reorient yourself and start to learn God's word. Teach yourself to feed yourself. I mean, this here, Sunday morning, Sunday church, Sunday sermons, should be the dessert for the meals you've been having all week in your own study. Finally, the last and probably most important way for us to avoid deception is to be people of the Spirit. As part of our creation, we were designed to live connected to the Holy Spirit. And why our world is so broken right now is because humanity chose to disconnect from the Spirit of God and connect to the wrong power source, the kingdom of this world. That's why there's such a mess right now, because we've disconnected from what was supposed to be our source. But that changes for the person who has surrendered themselves to Christ. If you have surrendered yourself to Christ, you have, now have a direct connection with God through the Holy Spirit. And when you read about the Holy Spirit in 1 Corinthians, especially chapter 12, it informs us that he will teach us to distinguish between truth and lies. And we keep this connection through the spiritual disciplines of Bible study, prayer, worship, fasting, church attendance, all these kind of things. But really, it's you every day connecting with him through your own spiritual disciplines. And if we really have the Spirit, then we will have that mind of God. And deception will not be able to get anywhere near us. Amen? Let's all rise. Father God, it is my prayer this morning that your people will dedicate themselves in a new way today to be missionary Christians in this world. That they won't be deceived by the news media. They won't be deceived by the politics, the talking heads, political leaders, anyone, Father, but they will be, have their ear on your heart, that they will be connected to you in such a vibrant way that they will see the lie immediately and hold up their hand to it and say, no, that is not the truth. God has already spoken about that, and this is the truth. Father, help your people not to be deceived by their own pride, their own or what they 
experience or how an appearance of someone or something may be. But give them strong discernment through the Holy Spirit. Help them to seek the Holy Spirit's presence in their life above all else, Lord. Father God, I, I ask for your spirit to be upon your people in a new and fresh way today. That the whole armor of God will be placed among them and upon them and in them, Lord. That the word of God may dwell richly in them. That it be the first thing that pops up in their mind when they hear a statement that doesn't seem right. What the word of God has to say about it. Father God, I, I bless your people now. I ask, Father, that you use them the rest of this week to witness Jesus to someone in word and in deed. Lord God, be with them, protect them, keep them safe, and bring them back to us next Sunday. I ask this in your name. Amen. 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 God bless you. Thank you for coming, and we will see you next week.